In today's readings and this feast, we have an opportunity to get some deep, deep insights into who Jesus is and some insights into family life also. So first, I'm going to talk about some very interesting aspects of Christ. And then second, we're going to talk about practical applications for family life. So first, specific aspects of Christ. We have an amazing depiction of his divinity. At 12 years old, Jesus was very aware that he was the Son of God. In fact, when his mother and his foster father Joseph come to him, he addresses his foster father Joseph with him present that he is in his father's house. So imagine what that must mean to Joseph. Of course, Joseph knew all of this. But nonetheless, a 12-year-old Jesus is very well aware that he is God, that God is his father. So this is no surprise to him. There's no revelation down the road somehow that Jesus discovers, oh, wow, I'm divine and have a mission to accomplish. He knew very well at age 12 when this story was written. Now, in addition, we also see amazing solidarity with humanity. So we see his divinity, but also his humanity. Jesus knew that God was his father, but even so, we hear that Jesus advanced in wisdom, age, and favor before God and man. Now, this should raise a question in our minds. Did Jesus actually increase in wisdom or in favor, otherwise translated as grace? The answer to this is no, it's not possible. He's fully God and fully man. The grace of the hypostatic union, where the two natures are joined in the one person of the Son, that can't increase. It's already perfect. So what is possibly meant by this line that Jesus grew in wisdom and age and favor? And Aquinas answers with this. There's an increase in the effects of grace, not in the grace itself. It's a growth in in the manifestation of the grace already contained within the divine person. So the union between the divine nature and the human nature, that grace doesn't change. But as he goes through life, greater and greater manifestations of this grace of hypostatic union, the grace of his habitual grace, the grace of his headship of the entire church from which all graces proceed, that manifestation increases over time. But the grace itself doesn't increase. God doesn't change, right? Therefore, his grace can't actually grow. This is a growth in the effect and manifestation of the grace that is already perfect and infinite within him. Okay, we talked about some theoretical things. Now we're going to get extremely practical. So thank you for bearing with me through something that I enjoy very much, talking about the Trinity and Jesus Christ in a theological manner. But here we go for the practical aspects of family life. Now, one of the most frequently asked questions to priests and others in the church, and one of the deepest desires of parents, is how to pass the faith onto one's children. And there's a great crisis. One of the deepest wounds that a parent can possibly experience is a child who has wandered away from the faith. So the question is, what, what are the things, what are some things we can take from our gospel that relate to how we can pass on the faith. And it's not a sure bet. We can do the best that we can as parents and priests 
And there's still the problem of free will, which is actually not a problem. It's a great thing because we can love through our free will. But nonetheless, what are some things from the gospel that we can do to ensure the best possible outcome, regardless of what may come down the road? The first aspect that we have is each year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem to the Feast of Passover. So Jesus, his parents, they were law-abiding. They followed the Jewish laws for religion. We have precepts in the church, like go to Mass every Sunday and Holy Day of Obligation, go to confession once a year, receive the Eucharist at least once a year, give to the church from one's means. All of these aspects of practicing Catholicism, as parents and as priests, if we don't do these, it's going to be very hard to pass on the things down to our children. Those are top priorities. In fact, there's a Pew study that is just an incredible um, revelation that if mom goes to Mass and dad doesn't, there is a 7% chance that the children will practice into adulthood. But if mom and dad go to Mass every Sunday and Holy Day of Obligation, 87% of children practice into adulthood. That's a huge difference. It means dad matters, right? It's not like we can just step into the background. The dad has a huge power and influence upon the exterior world and the exterior relationships of the child with God, with others, with the natural world. And it comes to the fore in this practice of the faith. So one, Jesus' parents practiced the faith. We should too if we want our kids to practice the faith. Second, they looked for him among their relatives and acquaintances. Now, there's another study that related for adults, for children to grow into adulthood and have the best maturity and the best education to deal with whatever crises may come in their life. They found this interesting statistic that those who had at least three adults in their life as mentors, other than parents, that that had a huge impact on their ability to be mature and to deal with whatever crises may come. Now, at Our Lady Mount Carmel, this is easy. This three to five adult, that's, it's amazing. If you go look at the school with the teachers, if you look at our sports ministry with so many parents donating their time, stepping up and becoming mentors for others, it's incredible. And then with our basic Christian communities, our BCC groups, it's amazing to see these parents get together with other parents And they talk about the same things. It has a huge impact on a child's life when they hear all these things from their parents. And then there are also values and views held by all these other adults that they respect and their friends' parents that they've grown up with. That's a huge impact on a child's life. And at Our Lady of Mount Carmel, I've never been at a church that has more adult mentors accessible to a child than here. It's truly amazing. So if you're not already invested in those ministries, step up, become a mentor, become a sports coach, not just for your kid, but for other kids too. You could be one of those mentors and adults that has a huge impact in a child's well-being moving forward into adulthood. Number three, Jesus was obedient. 
So this, now I'm going to talk to some of you kids, all of you kids, those who are listening, and uh, teenagers especially. Obedience is super tough, and it doesn't get easier into adulthood. Just, there's always bosses. There's always people that we need to be obedient to. But one thing that's important, Jesus is God, and he was obedient to his earthly parents, who are human beings, right? They are not God. Mary and Joseph are not God. And yet God submitted himself in obedience while he was a child in his home at Nazareth. That's amazing. If Jesus did it, who is God, then we should too. This submission and obedience to our parents is just something so essential to our well-being. Whenever someone makes a huge screw-up in their life, a huge sin, and they're under obedience of their parents, it almost always is the case that there was some earlier transgression of disobedience. So, for example, if someone has a catastrophic crisis and does a, a huge bad decision, it begins with a breach in obedience through breaking curfew or through lying. Those are small breaches by comparison. But when that happens, when we step outside of God's grace, by stepping outside of obedience from those that God has entrusted to us as our superiors, when we step outside of that obedience, we expose ourselves to a host of evils. All the graces that God gives to parents in married life, those are not accessible to us if we step outside of obedience in that protection from God's grace. Parents are given those graces. It's a big deal. Marriage is a sacrament and it matters. It means there's actual graces that are given to parents to be the best servants of each other and their children. But do you know who doesn't have that grace? TikTok. Right? Anything that is not your parent does not have that grace. Now, legitimate authorities like teachers, that's an example. But so many kinds of social media and friends, they don't have that grace. You can do things with friends and do things with TikTok, but stepping outside of your parents' obedience, that's the quickest way to destroy your soul. It exposes us to all these evils. So stay in our parents' graces. It's something that lasts. It protects us for our entire life, if we do it well when we're young. Now, interestingly enough, there's also an obligation that, as authorities, that we have in passing on, taking care of our subjects and our children. The purpose of authority is not to keep people small and subservient. It's to allow them to mature. So keeping this in mind, we do as best as we can to articulate what we're doing is for the good of the child. So one of the best ways to move forward is to give the reasons why we're giving specific commands. And along with this comes how we obey legitimate authority. And this can be very hard. So with politicians, with certain members of church hierarchy, it's very easy to be critical because people are human beings and make mistakes. It's very important that we guard our language and that we speak with utmost respect and loyalty to those who deserve it, right? Our legitimate authorities, 
It doesn't matter how many mistakes that they made. And I'm not saying we whitewash things. We have to call out actions that are bad. We say, this was a bad action. But we are also loyal to our country. A beautiful image of this loyalty is patriotism, loving our country, doing acts of devotion, saying the Pledge of Allegiance. Those are great actions that manifest our obedience to legitimate authority. And when our children see that we're obedient to legitimate authority, even regardless of bad actions, that actually increases their ability to correspond with obedience to us. That's a key thing. I remember my dad, he, he was always passionately loyal. Regardless of what company he worked for, he was all in with that company. Everything was about that company. He worked for Intel Semiconductors and Philips Semiconductors, which are rivals, but he never talked bad about the other one. He was just all in the place he was at. He would found these soccer leagues, just these rec leagues at his company wherever he worked. And he still plays soccer to this day. It's amazing. He's 66 years old, and he still plays on a soccer team. It's incredible. But he, he had a loyalty to the company. I never heard him speak poorly about his boss or about the companies. And I come to find out later just how difficult certain situations were. But it didn't matter because my dad was enthusiastic and loyal wherever he was and made the best of the situation. He didn't complain. It doesn't mean that we don't criticize bad actions of politicians and leaders in church hierarchy, but it means we do so with charity, loyalty, and respect. And when we conduct our affairs in that way, it just radiates the spirit of love and obedience to everyone around us. They found him listening and asking questions when his parents found Jesus. So, again, we do the best that we can to reveal to the intellect why we're giving a certain command. And this changes over time. For a three-year-old about to touch a hot stove, you say, don't touch that. You don't need to give a reason. They're three. So you tell them not to touch the stove. But when they're 15 and you're just done cooking and you see your 15-year-old go for the stove for whatever reason, you say, oh, sweetie, please don't touch that. I was just making something. You give the reasons. It's a development over time, and it depends on the kid, it depends on the gender, and it depends on the age. It's massively complicated, so I'm edified by your devotion, and I'm grateful for celibacy. (laughs) Finally, they found Jesus in the temple. How beautiful this psalm is, and would we be able to say this about each of our children— Happy are they who dwell in your house. Continually they praise you. My soul yearns and pines for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. I don't even know if every moment I can say that about myself, but imagine if our children could say that about their relationship with the Lord, this yearning and pining to be in the courts of God. Now, It's important that when we approach the faith and aspects of the faith, we have a desire to make a saint out of every person, whether he or she wants it or not. But we have to keep in mind, we need to know and allow 
each person to have sufficient time and opportunity to develop a desire for the good. So Sunday obligation, we just go to Mass. That's what we do. But when it comes to daily Masses or adoration or other forms of prayer, I remember what my mom did with me when I was young. She would bring me to daily Mass occasionally, but then sometimes she'd bribe me with like a breakfast burrito smothered in green chili with cheese on top. It's a New Mexican delicacy. But she would bring me to adoration, but a lot of times she didn't. She didn't make me go to all the things that she did. I knew she was devout, but she allowed me to see the things that she did. And then through my relationship to her and my desire to be with her, I sought to desire these things on my own. So it was a gradual unfolding. We don't, we have to get it out of our minds. We don't have to force all the goods at one time for each person. But we can allow this love and desire to develop gradually in the young ones entrusted to us. Because when they start desiring of their own volition to pray on their own, to come to a daily mass, that's, that's incredible. You can take that to the bank. That's an amazing success. But it's through God's grace and our patience in love and respect for their freedom to gradually receive to greater and greater degree the great things that we have in our Catholic faith. I'm not talking about the Sunday obligation, but those other things that make our faith so special to gradually invite them over time to those wonderful things so that they can desire it on their own. So in conclusion, we practice the faith. We get other adult mentors in our kids' lives, and we become mentors ourselves. We obey legitimate authority out of charity, even when it's difficult. We reveal why a command is good, especially to the teenage child's mind. And when we bring children to pray, we also allow them to develop a yearning for the Lord on their own. So there's so many great lessons we can glean from today's readings. And most of all, we desire not just for our children, but for ourselves, that we learn to love and yearn for the courts of the Lord as much as our psalmist, so that one day we can enjoy heaven, not just this vision of God as sons and daughters, but also surrounded by our loved ones that were entrusted to us and we have safeguarded throughout their years.